0: happy guy Then he ate a molded pumpkin pie then he thought that he just couldn't die so then he laughed so all Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-382. And this is Chris. Today, we have an excellent interview with Dave McGillivray about his recent experience of running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And we do go off script a bit and do a bit of old guy trash talking too, so it's uh, it was a great talk. I was originally going to skip this week because I've been so slammed and beat up by work and training recently. But when I spoke to Dave and heard how great the conversation went, I had to get it out. Felt like it was my duty. In section one, I'll talk about how struggling through bad workouts isn't necessarily a bad thing. Everybody has bad workouts, right? Everybody has bad days and good days. We'll talk about that a little bit. In section two, I'll drop a chapter from the audiobook version of my Marathon BQ book, the chapter called The Dark Place. You've heard me talk about this before, probably. And that's the theme for this week, I guess, struggle and perseverance, sticking to the plan. So as of today, we are 50 or so days out from Boston, and my training, although challenging, is, in the grand scheme of things, going well. Coming into this weekend, I took a look at the weather and I saw that it was going to be heavy, freezing rain on Sunday. And petitioned Coach to move my long run to Saturday. And he acquiesced. And I did a nice, sunny run with my buddies yesterday. They ended up running about 2 hours and 15 minutes, and I went a little longer and I hit two forty-five. And it ended up being around nineteen and a half miles for me, good solid long run. And having run the same two-hour and forty-five workout last weekend on Sunday, that means the two long runs fell into the same seven-day week, the same seven-day window, and I ended up with over sixty miles for the calendar week. And that's something I haven't seen for a for a while. My legs are holding up okay. I went back out today with some other guys from my club, and we did an easy hour in the trails in the freezing rain. It was quite quite nice. I mean, once you're wet, you're wet, right? <laughs> no issues. I do need to work more on core strength and stretching, but, you know, who doesn't say that, right? Because I'm tight, but, hey, you can't do everything. My tempo runs are coming in around you know, 7.30-ish pace, which is pretty encouraging. My engine is very strong. My heart is solid. The legs are the constraint right now. I imagine that should improve with all this volume. But the bottom line is I'm a good spot for a strong 20th bus of Marathon if we get good weather and the stars align. So we talk about that Marathon BQ book that I wrote a couple years ago because it insisted on getting out of my head. And if you were to train with me, these are the kind of stories you'd hear over and over on the long runs, my training philosophies. I started the uh, the podcast for the same reason, to take all this stuff about running that I've accumulated and get it out into the public where it might do some good. The book putts along at a dozen or so a month, spiking in the spring and the fall when people tend to think about qualifying. And I suppose I should make some effort to find a real publisher, given the staying power and what they call the irrational enthusiasm that people have around this topic. But, you know, I'm too busy. But if you know an enthusiastic publisher who wants to take this market-tested vehicle, I'll take that meeting. (laughs) But what really turns me on, what really makes me think, huh, is when I get these emails out of the blue and they thank me for it. And it really blows me away. And I'll share one here. Redacted of course because I don't have permission. It 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 reads like this Chris, I know that you receive countless thank you emails from runners who have found success using your marathon BQ training plan. But I wanted to offer yet another. And you know what, dude? I don't receive that many. <laughs> Last year, I ran the Chicago Marathon, giving it all I had and finishing in 3.44.24, essentially the same time that I just finished the Disney Marathon in several years prior. And this part's bolded. In one year, using your program, I dropped 23 minutes off my time, finishing the 2018 Houston Marathon strong in 3.21.04. And my goal was to qualify for Boston. And with a BQ cutoff of 325 from age group, it looks like I will get a bib. All of those speed workouts really worked. Looking forward to running Boston in 2019. Can't thank you enough. Sincerely yours, Redacted. And it was super interesting because the the signature line from this guy was a position that showed a fair amount of professional success, dare say much more than I have ever had. And uh, it kind of tickles me that someone in that position would, uh, I'd be able to influence positively, you know? So there you go. On with the show.
1: It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength.
0: A tale of two workouts. Living with the bad days. I have bad days. I have low days. I have blue days. I have days where I set myself up to fail and then berate myself for failing. And that's life. Life is dirty and scuffed and used, with patches of the good earth hanging in giant scabs from the cracks. And I bring this up because I'm as guilty as the next social media maven of always projecting the best days and not the bad days. That's one of the curses of social media. Some of it is because we want to celebrate the positive. Some of it is we don't want to admit to ourselves that our puny existence is as chaotic and scuffed up as the next guy, being just another cog in the machine that ruffles our sense of self and hurts our ego. It's a bitch. It's a losing game. When you look at someone's smiling Instagram feed, you are seeing a curated self. Don't compare yourself to that. If you do, you will be comparing your average life to their best day ever. So last week, I had one of the, and hopefully, the worst workouts of this campaign. Ten weeks out from Boston, and Coach is getting serious. He gave me a one hour and a half step up run. This is a challenging workout. It's basically warm up and run tempo for over an hour. I started feeling a bit of a head cold, coming in the Friday before the weekend and carried that into my busy week. It was the sore throat and the fever. And because I am a senseless baby boomer with an overly developed sense of mission, I went with my default setting of ignore it and press on. I had a big week of work and travel and decided that I was too busy to be sick In all fairness, this strategy does work for me occasionally. Occasionally. I had to travel Tuesday afternoon slash evening, and then back Wednesday evening, and I knew I wouldn't have time for the big workout unless I got up early and knocked it out before the workday spun up. But over the weekend, my cold progressed. Not terrible, just noticeable. Cough, head stuffiness. I ignored it Monday at the office. Had a little fever, maybe some sweats, but I worked through it. I knew I was sick, but just kept executing like I wasn't. And as I got my stuff together Tuesday morning, my regular shoes were still wet from a hard 10K in the cold rain on Sunday. So I threw a newly arrived pair of Hoka trail shoes into the backpack for the workout. They would turn out to be quite stiff and clunky in the cold on the bike trail. It had rained or something, and the trail was slick with ice. The conditions weren't great, but I pushed through. My legs hadn't forgotten that effort of the weekend's 10K either. They were a bit stiff and dead. And I hit the trail down by the Charles and immediately knew it was going to be a hard go. The temperatures had plunged into the teens and I was cold. The gloves I had really didn't cut it. I was underdressed. I had assumed with the intensity of this workout I really wouldn't need a lot of insulation. As I eased into the workout, my heart rate was high, and it wouldn't come down. I felt worse than horrible. The trail had ice. I had no energy. I was suffering. It wasn't even the hard part of the workout, and I was stressed to the max. And I thought about turning around and calling it a day, but I was already out, and I'm stubborn, So I just decided to try and hang in there for the term of the workout. And I managed to drag myself through an hour and a half, but it was all pure misery. There was no step-up in this step-up run. There was only survival. Frankly, I brutalized myself for no reason and probably put myself at risk. I hate to miss workouts. Consistency is one of the things that makes me successful in my own small way. But when I reported back to coach, he basically said I was an idiot. There's smart stubborn, and there's stupid stubborn. The next day, I skipped my workout. I was wrecked, physically and mentally exhausted. And I was feeling quite sorry for myself. And the only bright spot, the only thing I took away from this workout, was the thought that one workout does not define me. And that was my mantra when I was trying to finish those last miles. This workout does not define me. So this week, when I looked at the schedule, I had a similar workout schedule. And you can imagine I was trepidatious rolling into the workout. Based on what had gone down seven days before, I was scared. But I changed my approach. I told myself, just go out. And focus on turnover, focus on form, let the workout take care of itself. And what a difference a week makes in New England. This day was a gorgeous 45 degrees. I had shorts and a t-shirt. It was glorious. I eased into the workout. It wasn't perfect, but my heart rate was solid. My legs held up. I didn't close it as hard as I would have liked, but I ran with purpose, skill, and yes, a little bit of joy. And when I logged the workout, I was pleasantly surprised to see an average pace that, if I could hold it for 26 miles, would get me a 3.15-ish marathon. And that's the tale of two workouts, or the same workout on two different days. One cold, sick, icy, and terrible. The other spring-like and inspiring. And that's how life is, right? It isn't all smiling perfect teeth Instagram. It isn't 2.5 perfect blonde children and a dog. It's the dark times and the shit on the floor. That's all part of what makes it worthy. It's these cold, dark days of training for Boston when you're alone and afraid and when you're tired and you're sick. They make you strong. Boston's strong. It's the sideways snow and the freezing rain. It's not wanting to do it with every fiber of your being and doing it anyhow. People look at you from the outside and think you must be lucky or genetically gifted or love it, but we don't. And the work doesn't always love us. It's the struggle that we love. It's the striving, the failures, and the joy of knowing that at some point the hard work pays off. And that hard work doesn't pay off in the races. That hard work pays off in mindset and lifestyle and life. I mean, you could float through life eating Doritos on the couch or beating the crap out of yourself at 5 a.m. down by the river, and you'll end up in the same place. The big picture it really doesn't matter. You can believe what you want. I believe that it is our striving that makes this life worthwhile.
2: And now for today's featured interview. <laughs> so I saw your Facebook posts of the uh, the last uh, month about all the craziness you just went through with the 7 and 7. I wanted to uh, talk to you about that. Good. Because it's interesting to me because of all the stuff you've been doing over the last god, it's like 30 years now, right? Run across the United States multiple times. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. sw- swimming across the the uh, the bay there, and um, the long yeah. bike trips. You know, race director for the Boston Marathon, start your own race company. You've done all this stuff, yet you're still like everybody, <laughs> like most of, most of the people in in sort of our group, which is okay. What's the next big thing I can do that scares the hell out of me? And uh-huh. uh so. So I, I talked to the lady. Who's the lady um, from Up Your Way who did it a couple of years ago? Oh, yeah. Becca. Becca Peasy. Becca, yeah. Yeah. I talked to yeah. Becca about this. Yeah. Uh, how did you get interested in doing this with everything you have going on? How did you get interested yeah. in doing this?
3: Well, my motto is this. Um, when, when I ask, especially kids, when I speak at schools, they say, so you've done all this stuff, but your best accomplishment. And, you know, I typically say my best accomplishment is my next one. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one to let a lot of grass grow under my feet. Um, you know, just because I might have a resume that has a whole bunch of stuff on it. That's the path. I mean, that's the rear view mirror stuff. And that's done and over with. So what do you got for me today? You know, and my attitude has always been, you're only as good as, you know, your your current race. I don't want to live in the past. I want to, you know, live in the present and plan for the future. So, you know, I'm always trying to get the most out of every day, and I'm always trying to plan for the next one. But that doesn't mean I, I have a specific goal in mind all the time. It's just something might tickle my fancy, something might present itself where I say, whoa. And that's something that is intriguing and maybe something that I could wrap my arms around. So, you know, I helped Becca Peasy when she did it two years ago. Um, She reached out to me and asked about, you know, the process of trying to find sponsorship for doing something like this and, and whatnot. And then, God bless her, she went out and did it, won the event for the women's division and all that. You know, and at the time, I never really... But seriously that that's something that I wanted to or would would ever do myself, not for any other reason than it just didn't hit me. And then I got a phone call from a friend who was the president of the Miami Marlins baseball team, and he has run Boston, and he's done the Ironman, his name is David Sampson, and he said to me, have you ever heard of the World Marathon Challenge? I said, oh yeah, of course. He said, do you want to do it? and i said well it's a pretty hefty entry fee and some significant cost to it so i'm not sure that it it's wise for me to spend that kind of money to do something like that and he says well let's just say that that's taken care of would you do it i said well <laughs> now that's a different story i said well i would i would ser- certainly consider it yeah i mean you know pencil me in and you know i know he was i knew he was serious in his sort of invitation, but I wasn't all that confident that at the end of the day he was going to pull it off, that it was going to actually happen. So, you know, some time went by and then I recontacted him. I said, Oh, by the way, is this, are you really going to do this? And he said, I have every every intent of doing it. And I said, Well have you actually registered yourself and other people who you invited to do this along with you? And he said, I'm in that process. And I'm like, Whoa, this actually might be real. And long story short is he did, and he invited 16 family members, friends who are runners or athletes and former players from the Marlins and other people, and I just happened to be one of the group, and um, the commitment was made, and I said, okay, I got a year to train for this, and my whole focus in 2017 was on this, and I did the work. Three weeks before Boston, I went out and on Sunday, I ran a marathon. Monday, I ran a marathon. Tuesday, I ran a marathon. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I ran a half marathon. On Sunday, Saturday, I ran the Boston Marathon course. I ran four marathons and three halves in seven days. And I said, well, you know, maybe maybe I can do this. And people said, boy, you're starting your training pretty early, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not training for this. I'm just trying to see if I've earned the right to do it. And yeah. because I got through that, I thought, you know, why not? why not take a shot? And so I dedicated the majority of last year to focusing on doing this world marathon challenge and I went out and did it. So it's interesting. I know with me when these, and when
2: you get to a certain age, it's no longer, you can't go, I just want to do this faster, right? You got to find things that are different to really turn you on, right? I know that's the way it is with me. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to train or run a fast marathon because that, that ship has sailed for the most part, right? Um, yeah so, so I know with me these things sort of like creep into my consciousness from the edges like you'll you'll yeah. be thinking about it and then it'll pop up in a conversation it'll pop up and it's almost like your mind is or something the universe is sort of focusing you in on this thing does that, does that happen to you?
3: yeah I mean you know whether it's an epiphany or whether it's the stars are lining up or whether it's just you know you're talking to a friend and all of a sudden you know, you just blurted out, I'm going to do this. And so not only have you committed to yourself, now you've committed externally. And sometimes that's just a stronger, you know, sort of commitment than even to yourself. And, um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, your point's well taken that we, most of us, we can't do today what we were capable of doing yesterday. You know, my goals aren't to run a PR anymore because as you say, that ship has sailed. The last chapter in my book, The Last Pick, is titled Changing the Rules. And I've always felt that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, like, just quit. All you need to do is change the rules a little bit and set yourself up for success and not failure. And, you know, just be reasonable in your in your individual expectations. So put it out there. Get out of your comfort zone. Challenge yourself. But do something that, you know remotely possible too and so running sub 230 is just not going to happen for me anymore but maybe running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents in an average pace of about 430 is possible so why not set that as the goal and see if you can go get it and so but you know that's what happened
2: yeah it sounds like you you um you when you were thinking about it last year, you know, the, when you did all that run-in for the marathon last year, yeah. uh, you kind of had a, a, a doubt in your mind whether or not it was feasible and you actually wanted to do a little pilot test to see, uh, to see if it was something you should do or not.
3: Yeah, I, I'm one for not recklessly setting goals. I, I, I believe in earning the right to set a goal, um, so I need I needed to find out for myself whether my 63 year old body could withstand running back to back to back to back to back 26 mile runs. You know, the last time I did that was in 2004 when we relayed across the United States, 10 of us, and we were averaging between 20 25 miles a day. But that was five-mile splits done five times throughout the entire day. So prior to right. that, I I hadn't run these kind of miles back-to-back back for a long, 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 long time. So who am I to say, oh, yeah, sign me up? I, you know, I can bang that out, which is interesting, Chris, because I was talking to a friend the other day, and I said, you know, anytime I told somebody that I had signed up for this and I was going to attempt it, they would say, oh, that piece of cake for you. You know, that that's right up your alley. You know, you'll have no problem with that. And, you know, I have two, uh, two responses to that. One is I'm flattered that they would even think I have the skill set, the talent, and the wherewithal to do it. But on the other hand, it's almost, I'm not saying it's insulting, but they're minimizing the effort that it takes to do it, even with somebody like me who's done a lot of this in the past. But the past, like I said, is gone. It's today, and yeah. I've run 150,000 miles. I, you know, I've worn out this body a little bit, and I'm 63 years old. I don't recover like I recovered when I was 23, 40 years ago. It's a whole set. Yeah. Of, it's a whole different set of rules here and and circumstances. So, so no, don't don't say it's a piece of cake, and don't say, oh, you know, I have every confidence in the world. You can bang this out because even, even I don't know if I can do this until I get out there and do it.
2: Yeah. And one point I'll, I'll make just a follow on point on that, Dave, is so I get the same thing as sometimes I think people are comparing me to the person I was a decade ago when they say this right. kind of stuff. And like, right. I don't think it's as easy as you think it is. I remember this way differently than you do,
1: you know? <laughs>
2: and, uh, yeah. And it's, ten, and it's 10 years later now, right? So, but, yeah. and so my, my follow on, though, is you're a rigorous guy. You like to have everything planned out and, you know, stable yeah. down and, and and in the file, and the folder, I, that's why you're so successful at what you do um, with the marathon. You're the right guy for that role because of your temperament, because of your energy and the way you go about it systematically. But when you're setting these goals, don't you like to also have a chance of failure?
3: I mean, isn't that kind of what makes the goal worthy? Well, what's interesting is I never look at it as failure. I always look at these as learning experiences. So I'm not afraid to attempt something because I'm not afraid of not being successful because I don't look at it as failure. I look at it as, like I said, a learning experience. The only way I feel I can fail is if I don't try. That's failure to me. But like I said before, I don't recklessly go into these things. I make sure that They're within my grasp if I do the work, if I do the preparation, if I suffer the sacrifices involved in attaining that goal. So, but I want to make it challenging enough that you know there is that degree of like I may not be able to do this, you know. And and that's that's what you know that's yeah why not everyone does it. Yes.
2: Yeah, I I like the way you put it before, which is you earn the right. To have that goal right right yeah and you respect the yeah. goal and that's the way you know that's
3: frankly the way I feel about um, running Boston every year right it's like that well you got to respect you, know, right? you got to respect the distance and and I, I you know I mean I'm just one person I'm not an entire organization and I honestly feel that if mm-hmm. I had my way I would require that everybody in the Boston Marathon everybody meet some qualification standards. Everybody, even, you know, charity runners, waivers, special invitations. And what I mean by that is you don't have to necessarily run a marathon, but you should show evidence that they, you can run a half, that you run a half, you know, in a very pedestrian time, you know, under three hours. But you need to show something. You shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to do this on a barroom room bet. You know, you should show something that, you know, I've gone out there and I've done some work to earn the right to. To, to, to get to the starting line right
2: and and yeah and, that's you know you yeah. that's uh, that's yeah. crazy talk you're going to make the front page of
3: runner's world talking like that well you know <laughs> it's just it's just a personal i mean i'm a you know i come from the old school right um yeah and me, I just, too. No, me too you're you're preaching to we've the choir it's really hard to get to you know this point and i i'm not denying anyone access or inclusion i'm just saying that at least for this one I mean, this is the holy grail. I mean, we are b- about the pursuit of athletic excellence, and at the same time, we are also about philanthropy. I get it, and I, you know, I never want to see that go away. At the same time, you know, I, I just think that this thing is has reached such a stature that, and and it's, and it's important to the participant too. They should know. They should be able to say, "Hey, I ran a half marathon. I ran two hours forty-five, and at least I know that I've done that. I work a little h- harder." You know, run some longer distances, and and then and then I feel like I can toe the line. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that helps on the management side because it would, you know, it could minimize our casualties and the pressure put on the medical yeah. team. And until the list it goes on and on and on. It makes all the sense in the world. This isn't like rocket science, and it's not trying to be hardcore. It's just about being reasonable.
2: <laughs> about the uh, the seven marathon, seven continents, seven days. Yeah, I mean. How did that go? The stories I've heard, you know, from Becky from or Becca um, and all yeah. those people that do these sort of things is that typically it's the logistics, not the, the effort that kills Your you. Honor. It's like getting yeah. from one place <clears throat> to the other and trying to get enough sleep and get enough
3: food. Right. I mean, that, that's truly what it is. Mm-hmm. When I did what I did before marathons some three half, you know, around my neighborhood, you know, I ended up at my house, sleeping in my bed and eating the food that I had in my refrigerator. So. All was fine there. So the recovery is was, you know, reasonable. Whereas with this, it's like, all right, you know, get off the plane, get your luggage, go through customs, put your luggage, your gear on a bus, get on the bus, bus to maybe a hotel or a venue, get off the bus, get your luggage, check in, change, get back on the bus, drive to the venue, get off the bus, wait to the start. Run the race, cross the finish line, get back on the bus, go back to the hotel, shower, whatever, pack your luggage, put your luggage back on the bus, get on the bus, go back to the airport, get your luggage off the bus, go back <laughs> through customs, get back on a plane, go for 10, 11, 12 hours on the plane, get off the plane, go through customs, get back. you get it, right? So you yeah, don't know yeah. when your next mail is coming. You don't know... What the recovery is going to be like, you're not sleeping in your own bed. I couldn't sleep at all. I was too wired the whole time. I couldn't get comfortable in the airplane seat. I slept maybe three hours a day. I won't say a night because there was no such thing as day and night. It was all one big 168 hours stretched out. I thought I was going to crash and burn. The more I didn't sleep, the more I worried about the fact I wasn't getting sleep. And then the more I didn't sleep after that, I mean, it was a vicious cycle, A lot of times I like to eat specific food before a marathon. Well, you don't have specific food. You eat what's put in front of you, even if you don't like it or you've never eaten it before because you have to replenish those calories. Right. So and then the uncertainty of what time of day you were going to run. Is it going to be an hour from now, three hours from now? You didn't really know. So typically, if you're training for one marathon, it's like everything's geared up for that one, and then the week before, you've got a routine, and then the day before, you've got a routine, and you go to bed at a certain time, and you get so many hours of sleep, and you wake up at a certain time, and you eat a certain thing, and then you you go to the venue, and you're there an hour and a half before, and you're getting all your gear, you're putting on what you need to put on, all all your gears in the car, so if it's raining, if it's cold, if it's hot, if it's this, if it's that, you've got all your choices right there. You do your little warm-up. You know it's going to start at 8, not 10 past 8, thirty, nine 9 o'clock. You, you know exactly. And then the gun price, and off you go. Well, that <laughs> is not what happened here. <laughs> it was the total opposite. Not that it was not logistically planned. It's just you can't plan exactly the way it's going to play out because you're traveling from continent to continent. You know, and you off yeah, and had all these bags,
2: you know, it was crazy, yeah. you know. It, it sounds almost like uh, like one of those um, bizarre stage races where they do the same thing, you know, where you, essentially you start hallucinating somewhere about four days in, right? <laughs> you
3: just what it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge of it. I mean, it's not like it wasn't organized. It's just it was a rat race. I mean, the gun fired, and it was just intense from that point on. And there's no stopping now. No looking back. There's no, if you get injured, you got injured. You got to run with your injury. You don't have any time to recover from an injury. You got to tape it. Or you got to ice it. Or you got to massage it. Or whatever it is, that's what you got. You know, and you just got to deal uh, with it. How,
2: how, no. how did your, um how did your machine hold up across? I mean, you've got so, a lot more experience the, than most people with this.
3: Yeah. Well, I ran every day for tomorrow. I didn't run for today. I, in other words, when you're running a marathon, and, 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 and that's it, that, you're running the Boston Marathon, you know, you take off, you're in your comfort zone, you're pacing yourself, you're going along, everything's great, you get the halfway point, you say, I feel good, and what do you do? You say, I'm going to pick it up. I'm gonna, I don't want to leave anything in the tank. I want to run as hard as I can for the last few miles and get the fastest possible time I can, and then I can cover for the, recover for the next day, week, month, year, whatever it is, right? With this, you couldn't do that. You could be running along, be at the halfway point, and say, "I feel great." Hold back. Be patient. You got to do it again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So that was a very different approach than what most of us are used to, is holding back. And then, what is too much? I don't. I'm not really sure. If, if, if you know, even if I'm holding back, am I holding back enough? So day one in the Antarctica, we got through that. We were very fortunate that we got we we we, we got a good day. It wasn't too too cold and it wasn't too too windy and you know, it it was way better than I had expected going in. And then, you know, and then the next the next event, you know, I felt my quads. They they were a little tight, but not too too bad. Then we ran in Cape Town, but that was really hot. It was seventy five degrees plus plus. So that one took a lot out of me. And I ran about I ran fast. I ran like twenty minutes faster than Antarctica, but you know, I, I said to myself, Whoa, did I did I put the hammer down too much for me? You yes. know it's slow yeah. times, but for me, and I, I got a little worried going into Perth because I thought it was hot and I it's going to zap me. But I get to Perth and it was a night run, which was good. And we started at like eleven o'clock at night, and it was not too hot. It was a little humid, but no sun, no heat. You know that kind of a thing. And I ended up banging out my best time that that night in Perth. So I thought, okay, but then my quads were really starting to get rock hard, and I was doing everything I can to loosen them up, beat them up, massage them, ice them, the whole bit. So then we got to Dubai, and that was a night run too. But as I started running Dubai, you know, uh, you know, I started to kind of get in a groove, you know, and my body started to adapt. And I got to Dubai, and then I got to Lisbon, and Lisbon was at night too, but it was it was a little chilly and it was a little rainy and it was just uncomfortable. But you know, my my body held up pretty pretty well there. But then all of a sudden, I felt like you know I'm actually getting stronger as I'm going along versus Uh. weaker. You know, and that was that's an interesting realization that sometimes when you're when you're running and working hard and you get to a certain point where you're in a lot of pain. You would think that every step further you take, you're going to be even in more pain. And sometimes the body has a strange way of adapting and you can actually feel better the further you go if you just pace yourself accordingly. And that's what was happening to me. So my last 10 miles in Miami of the 183 miles, my last 10 were the fastest of, of any miles I ran the entire time. Did you get good weather in Miami? It was warm. You know, it was probably 75 when we started. We started yeah. at 220 in the afternoon, and then by the time we finished, it was just getting dark and pretty good weather near the near the back end of it. But it was it was warm during, you know, the first 15 miles of it. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the, the
2: cross-country guys I talked to, that seems to be the arc for their runs where it starts out good, gets a little sketchy but then gets really good at the end when their bodies figure
3: it yeah. out, you know, so it's sort of the same mark. Yeah. So that's what that's happened interesting. and Thank I knew you. that. I knew that going on. When I ran across the country in 78, first of all, people said to me, so what did, what did you do to train to run 40, 50 miles a day? I said, I just did my normal training. Oh, you didn't do like 40, 50 miles a day to train? I said, no, why would I do that? I did it <laughs> on the run itself. You know, so when I started, I ran 40 miles. The next day, I ran 40, 45 miles. The next day, 45, 45, 50, whatever. So I was actually training for what I was doing while I was doing it. And as I was going along, you know, three weeks, four weeks into it, I was actually getting stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker. All right. So what did you learn? You know, that, that is probably a one and done. <laughs> you know, that, um, and it isn't because the effort was, over the top. I'm, I'm, and I'm not minimizing it at all, but I don't know that that was necessarily the hardest thing I ever did in terms of the physical part of it. But, you know, it, it took its toll in terms of just the intensity of it, you know, and I had to make a pretty strong commitment with my training running, you know, going from what I was doing typically around 40 miles a week to upping it to seventy five to eighty to over hundred miles a week on occasion. Oof. And I haven't done that since I was in my twenties running with the Greater Boston Track Club and in the heydays when we're all banging out a buck twenty, a buck thirty a week. Yes. Where I just haven't I, haven't I haven't been close to that in many, many, many years. Um It's a big time so commitment too. It's a time commitment and there's I'm sixty three, like I said, so there's a point of diminishing returns where doing that kind of mega miles is really not helping you. It's hurting you because you're just wearing yourself down even more. And the recovery, like I said, period is a lot longer. So, you know, now what I want to try to do is start to get back into more of the anaerobic workouts and and try to get a little bit quicker, you know, in my age group for shorter distances, you know, the half half marathon on down. That's what I'd like to do for the rest of this coming year. So what's what's
2: the what's your number this year at Boston? Is this your thirty-eight?
3: No, Boston. This will be um, I've done forty-five, so this will be forty-six.
2: Forty-five. This will be your forty-six. All right. Yeah, yeah that's up yeah. there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been around for a while. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's like third or fourth or something of mm-hmm. the guys that are part of this group. something. Uh, you're starting Something like that. Yeah, yeah, you got an early, you got an early
2: start, so you're in good, good position to uh, overtake all those guys. Well, I got,
3: I got, the, I got as early a start as you can get. I mean, I started when I was 18, and you know, right. Officially, you can't run this until you're 18. So, you know, I got, I got the very earliest start I could get. So now it's a matter of longevity. You know, how long can I keep this right. up? You know, I, I don't right. know. Right. Right. <laughs> we'll, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, well, you got to make it to fifty, anyhow, right? That's a nice round number. That's a that's a nice goal, you know. I mean, that's that means I got to bang this out five more times. Um, but I, I guess that's and that's another reason not to do too many of these like world marathon challenge type things, because if I really want to maintain my health and fitness and and not get too injured between now and in five more years, then I really have to, I have to prioritize what, what my important goals are. And if it's to run 50 Boston marathons, then I, I just need to be wise and uh, with what I'm choosing to do in between. Yep. All
2: right. Well, we'll see you in uh, eight weeks then.
3: Sounds like a plan. I'll be there. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for your time
2: today. You get you got any uh, any links or anything you want to share with people?
3: No, if they just want to read up on the World Marathon Challenge, they can just go to their Facebook Facebook page is where most of the information is. There's um you know, photos and there's bios and there's video. It's pretty cool. But if you just go to All right. Facebook and type in World Marathon Challenge, there it is. Yeah, that's
2: something. All right. All right. We'll see you. Talk we'll see you later. You. Thanks for the time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.
1: Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Chapter 14. The Dark Place. The Dark Place. The Marathon BQ training plan is hard. When you get into the meat of the plan, you will find yourself in a physical and mental state of exhaustion you will find yourself in the dark place. If qualifying for Boston was easy, anyone could do it, and it would lose its worthiness as a goal. The dark place is where many aspirants will become overwhelmed with the training and give up on their quest. It is also the place where you will learn what you are made of. Like Hell Week or any other physical and mental initiation, this is the price that the Marathon BQ plan expects you to pay for your goals. There will come a time in the execution of this plan when you lose hope. You will be staring at yet another monster workout or long run. You will be tired and out of time. It will take all you have to drag yourself through your workouts. You will feel exhausted all the time and wonder at your own sanity. Those of us who have lived through the dark place know its intensity. Let me tell you a story. I was out on a long run with my friends Brian and Frank. Both Brian and Frank are, shall we say, seasoned amateur athletes. They are just normal guys with mortgages, wives, kids, regular jobs, and tuitions to pay. Both of them run Boston with me every year, and both of them have beaten the three-hour marathon barrier at Boston over the last couple years, but are now slowing it down again to my speed. Both have qualification streaks of over a decade. We were talking about qualification standards. We are of the opinion that any normal person who is willing to put in the work can run the qualification standards. But we have done it, and that gives us a different vantage point. In this conversation, at one point, Frank's brow furrowed and a shadow crept over his countenance. He uttered the phrase, If you are willing to go to that dark place. Brian and I nodded gravely and suppressed shudders. We know about the dark place. For us mortals of normal ability, the only way for us to achieve these A-level goals is to traverse the dark place at some point in our training. To know the dark place is to know weeks of cold and dark and ceaseless, mindless, and mostly joyless work. The only way through the dark place is to keep moving forward or to jump out of the boat. There is indeed a loss of self to this quest, where just about everything else is put on hold and you commit, monk-like, to the work. The training schedule becomes a driving tyrannical metronome of one impossible workout after another. There are no garbage miles. There are no fun runs in the dark place. Every workout is too hard. Every workout is a punishment. Today we will run a 5 mile speed workout. Tomorrow we will run a 3 hour long run. It makes no sense. So we shut the mind off and throw ourselves like punch-drunk soldiers into the shield wall again and again until either we break free or we come out the other side blinking into the light to run our race. We look back on these campaigns with wonder, as if we are looking at some other person, because indeed we become some other person or half-person or animal and pitch to the storm blows of work. Like a storm, when you are inside, you are only thinking about how to stay on your feet and brace for the next wave. Is it the achievement at the end that drives us to the slave galley of the dark place? Or is it the ecstasy of mindlessness that comes with the work? The way it narrows your focus? Your cares become very simple. How can I get enough rest to hit that next workout with the intensity required? When can I schedule the two hours I need on next Thursday? Other... More mundane things become spurious. And yes, in this way it becomes an addiction, because it begins to crowd out everything else in your life. Your thoughts tunnel to when and where your next workout will be, your next fix. This is what we mean when we say that anyone can do it if they are willing to do the work. What we really mean, what we wear like a bizarre badge of honor, is that we are willing to go to the dark place to achieve our goals. This, my friends, is really the difference. Not talent, not grace, but the ability of a normal, everyday person to subvert self towards a goal. It is the purification ritual of our sport, and that is why we hold it in high esteem. My dad used to say to me when I was younger that the reason you want good grades is that it shows you are either smart or work hard, and either way it is a good sign. In much the same way, when we make our qualification standards for the Boston Marathon, it means we are either talented or willing to work hard, or some combination of both. When I first started running, I thought I was dedicated with my 15-20 to mile weeks and occasional long runs, but I did not know success until I found my line, deep within the dark place. Everyone draws his or her own line. It is a choice, and it is a choice only you can make. But this sport, this pursuit, this sometimes obsession, is not a spectator sport. You cannot claim the wisdom of a traveller by looking at posters and brochures. You have to go. You have to meet the people, eat the food, and drink the water. You cannot claim camaraderie with the veterans if you are not in the war. You cannot claim a veteran runner's zeitgeist unless you have gone to the dark place and come out again. To truly know the joy of the sport, the heft, and weight of its experience you have to get down and roll in it and soak up its stench the dark place is not an easy journey many will break before they are through but even the broken will be forged well in the heat of it some people will see an unhealthy pursuit an obsession or an addiction we know the truth it is a journey through personal challenge that pits us against our own nemesis our own selves When we emerge, we emerge well-forged and whole. If you have been to the dark place, you know this. If you have not, you will never be able to know or to judge until you seek and find your line. When you find yourself in the dark place, what do you do to keep going and complete the plan? First, expect the dark place about two-thirds of the way through your training plan. Know it is coming, and you will be better able to deal with it and take the negative emotion and impact out of it. Second, trust the plan. When things get hard, do not second guess or look too far into the future. Take it one day at a time. All you need to do is execute today's workout. The rest will take care of itself. Third, get an accountability partner. Have someone you can compare notes with, ideally someone who is going through the same plan. Being able to talk about the challenge makes it easier to rationalize and get through. Your journey through the dark place will be a painful and scary journey. It is also where you will learn what you are capable of as an athlete and as a person. You will be challenged, but you will come out the other end stronger. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends,
0: you have run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents with seven brides for seven brothers. To the end of yet another Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-1. 382 finito. Fini. And I'll keep it quick because I'm running out of daylight. <laughs> things are weird for me personally and professionally and athletically, but I'm keeping my head above water. I do feel a bit burnt out, and I think maybe I need to take a couple mental health days in the next few weeks. It comes and goes, you know. When things get hard, I try to remember to be grateful and how lucky I am. To have all the things that I have in my life, all the bounty. And what you will find is that the more you practice gratitude, the more a self-fulfilling prophecy it becomes. And I'd love to hear what you're grateful for. Send me some audio and I'll put together a composition for us. Do it now before you forget. What are you grateful for? And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die so ned he laughed so hard it made him cry all right let's see how this goes i'm in my remote recording space which is my attic it's good because I can uh, check for mice up here while I'm uh, while I'm recording. I can check my mouse traps, my trap line. If I get enough of them, I can make a fur coat. <coughs> so the book puts, you know, oh, gotta back that up. See, puts is a different word than putts. Puts has two T's. Puts has one T.